Welcome to the Cultivation Cast by Black Dog LED with Kevin and Noah. In this podcast, we cover all things related to indoor cannabis cultivation. We have received some feedback, which we appreciate, and we definitely want you to keep it coming. We would like to know what you want to learn about, what you want to hear, what topics you'd like us to tackle, and even what guests that we have on the show. So today we have a special guest. We're going to try something new. There's going to be a new segment we're going to play with. It's called The Grower and the Geek. We got the grower who I'll introduce in a moment. And of course, we got the geek of growing here, Kevin. So we thought it'd be fun to have a actual, real commercial cannabis cultivator join us on the podcast and ask those questions that maybe other people are afraid to ask or questions he's always kind of wondered about now that he has someone like this to ask these kind of weird geeky questions. But basically, it's an open field. And I will tell you this, Kevin has not had a chance to see these questions ahead of time, so we're going to see how this goes. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest, Ivan Cartagena, Cartagena, I'm going to get it right, Ivan Cartagena is here. He's an award-winning cultivator. He stands as the esteemed owner of Alien Era, a really cool strain, a pioneering force in the cannabis cultivation industry with a passion deeply rooted in horticulture. Ivan has garnered claim, acclaim for his innovative approaches to growing top-tier cannabis strains. And that is an intro, but I will tell you personal experience. I've been out at his facility before and spent hours drooling over his genetics and his grow quality. It is amazing what I've seen him do with genetics and some of the stuff I've seen him grow is just stuff that I drool over almost literally there. So without further ado, let's get started. So. Today, again, is going to be the grower and the geek. Ivan, welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me here. I'm so excited to be here. Um, like always, you guys have always had my back, and now we can grow some amazing cannabis. Awesome. Well, let's take, I did a little intro there, but why don't you tell the audience real quick so they get to know you a little better. What are you up to right now? What are you doing? I see you got a grow behind you. I know you've moved a little bit. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what you're doing? We moved a little bit. Now we're not running a facility anymore. Uh, we changed. Now we own a facility. We're out here in Oklahoma. So hopefully we are going to bring all of the brands that we've always used. And, uh, you know, the same core collaboration is just in a different state. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's exciting. And I can't wait to uh, get a chance to visit your new facility. Really exciting. Really exciting. So why don't we get started? You, you have the reins here and that we don't know what questions you're asking. We're just going to try and see how this works. So you pick a question, start, and we'll go from there. All right. Let's start where everyone, what everyone wants to hear. Kevin, do you smoke weed? Yes, I'm just a, a lightweight. Uh, it doesn't take very much. Kevin is a cheap date. I'll vouch for that. When you do smoke weed, how do you evaluate that quality? Like to you, how is, you know, what is good weed? How do you say like, okay, this is the type of weed that I want to smoke again? Um, for me, a lot of it, I think, comes down to the flavor um, as well as the effects. I mean, it does not take much for me to, to uh, get high. So um, a lot of it has to do with the terpene profiles and the, the flavor, I think. I think that's the right. I think that's the right answer, right? I think that's the right answer. Uh, a fun, a real quick, Ivan. A fun follow up is he does actually get the flavor because Kevin, what's your preferred way of consuming? Uh, I typically use a volcano, so get a lot more of the flavor that way. Old school, good. Actually, so I am a firm believer that if you're, you know, if you're a cannabis 
can actually taste over a blunt is good cannabis. So today we're smoking a blunt, but normally I would be smoking on a joint. <laughs> nice. Excellent. So here we go with something a little bit more technical that I really um, I really want to know. How how the temperatures and humidity are going to interact with the lightning intensity that the plants end up getting. With the what? With the, with the intense, oh, with the light intensity. Okay, so uh, temperature and humidity, humidity isn't going to be affected too much by the light intensity, but the more intense the light is, the warmer the plant's leaves are going to be because one little known fact is plants are actually very bad at capturing light. Um, even the most efficient plant that they've found yet, which is actually sugarcane, only actually captures and utilizes 8 to 10% of the light that hits it. So you're, for cannabis and other plants, it's more like 3 to 4% at most of the light um, is actually being captured. A lot of the light is hitting the leaves and is being not converted into sugars, but is just warming up the leaves. It's the same thing if you uh, put your hand in the sunshine, your hand feels warmer because it's being bombarded with a bunch of light. And so light intensity does affect the leaf temperature, which then affects how you need to run your grow because if you're running low light intensity, you need to run warmer temperatures to keep the leaves at their optimal metabolic temperature. But if you're running high light intensity, then you actually need to drop your uh, ambient temperature in the room to make up for the fact that the leaves themselves are warmer. And this is one of the reasons why we have a big difference between um, growing with HPS lights and growing with LED lights is also the spectrum of light that's being put out. High pressure sodium lights put out a bunch of uh, yellow light that plants can't directly, well, chlorophyll cannot directly use. And so other molecules in the leaf absorb those yellow photons and release a little bit of the energy from them in the form of heat, convert them into red photons that the chlorophyll can actually absorb. So that means that yellow light inherently warms the leaf up more. Plus high pressure sodium puts out a lot of infrared light <clears throat> above the range that's useful for plants. It has a big spike at 818 nanometers which is not good for uh, the Emerson effect, which is good for photosynthesis. But that 818 nanometer light only serves to heat up the leaves with high pressure sodium and LEDs don't have that. So um, in terms of light intensity is going to affect how warm the leaves are, but it's also light spectrum. And then as far as humidity goes with light intensity, it really doesn't make much difference. You just want to have the correct humidity level regardless of the light intensity um, as long as the temperature is correct. If your temperatures are too high, you need to raise the humidity to keep the plants from desiccating too quickly. And uh, just to bring it home to real tests we've done here, we have grown when we were working on some of the newer lights and we were able to hit really high light intensities. Ivan, like it, I'm talking stupid stuff that you would never do that we're supposed to do. I always say, you're supposed to grow good weed, we're supposed to kill plants with lights. So we were running a test, I think we were up in the 23, 2500 PPFD range. So like over 2000, right? And you know, and you know this Ivan, because you've run under our lights, um, that we recommend 84 to 86 is a nice good good band, 84 to 86 Fahrenheit um, for an air temperature, right? Ambient air temp. 
when we ran at that, we did observe leaf surface temperature, which you should use a FLIR forward looking infrared, not just a laser point if you really want to know what you're doing. And we did to maintain, as Kevin said, the, to maintain that optimal metabolic rate of the plant, we did have to turn our temps down. So as you know, we recommend that 8046. We had to run at 78, 79, pushing up to 80 barely to maintain and not overheat the plant as Kevin was describing. So it does work in the real world. So. Yeah, and that's purely because we were bombarding it with ridiculous yeah. levels of light. Stupid high levels of light, but yeah. And that's where we hit some crazy yields. I love it, I, I love it. Um, somebody has to do it, guys. Somebody has to do it. I mean, we need people like you guys to, you know, reach new technologies. Okay, so, you know, I know a lot of people must be asking themselves right now, the Emerson effect, what is that? Could you please elaborate on what is the Emerson effect? Yeah, so back in the 1950s, they discovered, uh, a guy named Emerson discovered something that came to be known as the Emerson effect, which is that uh, plants can actually use light outside of the PAR region. PAR is arbitrarily defined as 400 to 700 nanometers, which also happens to be roughly the range that our eyes can perceive as well. But Emerson discovered that light in the infrared region can actually be used for photosynthesis. Now, it does not work on its own. You can't just give the plants infrared light. And by infrared, infrared is actually a very large chunk of, of spectrum in the electromagnetic spectrum. But I'm specifically talking about uh, wavelengths from about 700 to 750 nanometers. So very close to the PAR range. But he discovered that you can bombard plants with all of the 700 to 750 nanometer light you want. Um, if you don't give them any other light, they can't grow with that. However, if you give plants red light and infrared light, one photon of red light plus one photon of infrared light ends up being worth more than two photons of regular red light to the plant in terms of photosynthesis. And that's because there's actually two independent uh, photosynthesis uh, systems going on. It's called photosystem one and photosystem two in the plant. And you have to energize both of those at the same time to convert light into sugars for the plant. And Photosystem 1 and Photosystem 2 can, I forget which exactly it is that uh, can't use infrared light, but one of them can use infrared light to help uh, actually convert those sugars, uh, the light into sugar. So the Emerson effect is basically enhancing photosynthetic efficiency. By adding some of this infrared light, you can actually enhance the photosynthesis that the plant is doing. And just before anybody asks, and I'm sure our viewers are wondering, yes, we do include infrared in our light and always have for those reasons. So just to throw that out there. Thanks, Kevin. That was, that was incredible. Thank you. Um, okay, so, you know, growing indoors is a thing, but what considerations should you have when using black dog in a greenhouse? Because we know, even though they are quite similar, they're not quite the same at the same time. So, um, you know, what sort of consideration should the people at greenhouses take when they're using black dog? Me personally, I am an indoor grower that is now moving into the greenhouse world. So I am, I am dying to know what considerations should I take. So please enlighten me. Yeah. So in terms of the light spectrum, uh, there's a couple of things to consider with greenhouses. One is 
people think, oh, I'm growing in a greenhouse, I'm getting the same light I would from natural sunlight. But just because the greenhouse covering looks clear to us and doesn't appear to change the color of, of sunlight coming through it, that doesn't mean that it's not blocking certain colors of light. So people have probably heard of the greenhouse effect. That's because once energy gets into the greenhouse, that greenhouse covering is reflecting infrared light back inside. So the infrared light, once it gets in, can't escape the greenhouse and that's what warms it up and causes the greenhouse effect. So you're not getting a lot of the sun's natural uh, ultraviolet light either because unless you've got a, a glass-covered greenhouse, the polycarbonates or plastics that are used for greenhouse coverings in the vast majority of greenhouses naturally degrade with exposure to ultraviolet light. So they have to actually put ultraviolet blocking compounds in that plastic to prevent the plastic from turning brown and, and getting brittle over time. And that means you're completely lacking all of the ultraviolet from the sun's natural spectrum in a greenhouse. So our lights uniquely, because they have both ultraviolet and infrared, are replacing both of those things that the greenhouse covering is blocking for you and giving it back to the plants. Couple other things to consider when growing in a greenhouse is obviously you don't need to run the same intensity of light uh, that you would with our lights in a strictly indoor, what I call a sole source uh, situation where our lights would be your only source of light because you're actually getting a lot of that light from the uh, natural sunlight coming through the greenhouse. So you don't need nearly as much intensity and the intensity, unless you're growing right on the equator, the intensity that you're going to need is going to change with the seasons. In the middle of summer, you probably don't need any supplemental light unless it's really cloudy and really bad weather outside. Uh, but in the middle of winter, especially the further north you go or the further south below the equator you go, you uh, end up needing the light just to supplement the day length because I mean right now in Colorado it's almost the winter solstice and we're down to uh, about eight hours nine hours of daylight every day and obviously you want to give your plants if they're in flower you want to give them as much light as you can to increase your yield and if you're in vegetative growth obviously you need to keep the plants awake so you need that supplemental light for it. And then one other thing to note uh, with our lights in greenhouses is because we actually use active cooling on our lights, we're able to pack a lot more power and a lot more light output into a smaller package that doesn't create as much shadowing in the greenhouse. So you're getting more of the natural sunlight that's not being blocked by the light fixture itself. And then we're able to put out a lot of light relative to our shadow area. In fact, we're about 30% more light dense than our closest competitor in the greenhouse market. That's where the active cooling really comes in. We can pack that energy tight and give you less of a shadow. One thing I'd also point out in all the DLI stuff Kevin was talking about, that's what we do with our greenhouse customers. I mean, we're about to ship out a nice large greenhouse installation up to Canada next week. And we spend a lot of time with them, our sales guys, going through and looking at where they're located, looking at the shadowing and, and the clouds are gonna get, as well as the seasonality, and they work with them to hit a light level that's appropriate for them. Someone might say, hey, in the middle of winter, the darkest time, like Kevin said, right now, you're at the winter solstice, lowest light of the year, we'd say, how much production do you want? If 100% is this amount of DLI or this PPFD over the 12 hours of the day or whatever, what do you want to hit in the summer? 
or in the winter at the worst time. You, you say, okay, you know what? I don't want to have tons of lights and go crazy. I want 80% of my full production capacity in the middle of winter. The rest of the year, you're going to be better off than that. So our goal is to make sure the customer doesn't buy more than they need, but also, as you know, Ivan, we don't want to sell them short and give them too little light because as a grower, you're depending on that light to be there so you can do what you do as a grower. And that brings up another point, which is it very much depends on where your greenhouse is in the world. Even if you're at the same latitude, the same number of degrees north of the equator, the local weather can affect how much light you're naturally going to get. And so uh, what we typically do for our greenhouse customers is look up, there's, um, there's maps that show your average DLI or the total amount of light that you get over the different months of the year. And we can pinpoint where the greenhouse is located on the map to figure out and customize exactly how much supplemental light you would need. And then we talk to the customer about, okay, what percentage of your summertime yield do you want in the winter? We can give you 100%. We could give you 110% if you want. Uh, but oftentimes it just comes down to a price trade-off there. And I mean, one thing you'd be interested in as you're getting into the greenhouse game out there is we do now have the technology, we partner with other companies, one we're working with right now is GrowFlux. They have devices we can install that constantly measure the light. So if you get a big cloud coming over, you're not running in your garden to turn up your lights, it turns up the lights for you. Cloud goes away, lights turn down. So it's nice that we have this great technology to play with. So we're not, we can get you close and kind of nail it based on your requirements and let technology really fill in those gaps. So yeah, there's some great stuff now for greenhouses. That's why it's always great to have, you know, friends everywhere. <laughs> okay, so how does the choice of reflective material in your room or greenhouse, for that matter, boost your light intake? Because, you know, a lot of people say maybe it's not needed. Some others say it is a must. So where do you guys stand there? So, yeah, reflective surroundings make a huge difference. People do not realize how much light you are throwing away if you do not have ref light reflective materials around your grow area. Now in a greenhouse, you're somewhat challenged because if you put up something that's very light reflective on the walls of the greenhouse, well, you're not letting the sunlight in. So in a greenhouse, you may want to, uh, for example, put a light reflective material on the north wall of the greenhouse if you never have natural sunlight coming in that way. Might make sense to put some reflective material on that wall, but the rest of the walls, obviously, you want to have clear to let in as much natural sunlight as possible. But in a indoor grow, it makes a huge difference. And we have our own proprietary light mapping software that we've designed and written here at Black Dog. And we can actually show you just how much difference 80% reflective versus 90% reflective really is. Um, and, and if you have something like just plain concrete, people don't realize I mean, concrete looks you know, kind of light gray to us, but people don't realize it's really only about 20% reflective. If you paint it white, just flat white paint, you can get it up to 93% reflective, which makes a huge difference in the total amount of light that you can get to your plants. Another thing that people often get wrong, they see mylar. And I mean, decades ago, when I first started growing with artificial lights indoors, I was lining my grow area with mylar because I thought, well, it looks like a mirror it must be reflecting most of the light back to the plants. Well, mylar usually at best is only about 80% reflective. Flat white paint 
is 93% reflective. There's some specialty paints on the market that are getting up to um, 96%, 97% reflective. And there's some uh, new paints that aren't on the market yet where they're actually approaching 99% reflective. Looking forward to those actually being available. But uh, white is what you want. You don't want something that looks like a mirror. You want just flat white. And flat white specifically works better than glossy white because basically anytime you can see a reflection in a material, it's because light is being reflected off of that, but um, also because light that is not bouncing back to your eye at the proper angle is being thrown out. So anything that looks glossy or more mirror-like is actually throwing out more light than if it appears flat, flat white. So, for example, we would all think a true mirror, not mylar, but an actual mirror would be really reflective because it's a perfect reflection. It's not mylar, but in fact, because it's giving that me that reflection, I'm losing that light. That's kind of a well, and, simple way. And mirrors usually work by having a silver coating on the black the back of a piece of glass. And people think, oh, well, glass lets all the light through. Actually, most glass blocks about 80% of the light that goes through it. So you're losing, if you used a mirror in your grow room to try and reflect the light back, you're inherently losing 20% of the light, even if the mirror itself is perfectly reflective. Yeah, got it. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Sorry, guys, I have to leave there for a second and uh, let go of my CBD smoke before my alarms go off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. I don't want to keep you guys here forever. I know you guys have a lot to do when you guys gave me this space. So thank you as always for always having my back, guys. I love you guys. For your last question, Kevin, mm -hmm. are there any recent advancements in lighting that growers should be aware of? Because the thing is that many growers actually, once they have a light, they keep that light maybe for the rest of their career sometimes I've seen, you know? So um Tell them what advancements there is out there nowadays that would be very beneficial, beneficial not only to the grows, but also, you know, to the plants. Yeah, so LED technology is constantly getting better, um, constantly getting more efficient over time. Um, and of course, LEDs themselves are a huge upgrade from the older metal halide and um, high pressure sodium and even the ceramic metal halide lights because we can tune the spectrum that LEDs put out to give it exactly what plants want. So we could not control the color of light, the spectrum of light that high pressure sodium bulbs put out because there's chemistry inside that bulb and heat up the, the gases inside to hundreds or even thousands of degrees to get it to glow and, and put off light. But you can have chemical reactions going on in there as well. So you can't just arbitrarily throw in some more chemical that would make more blue light. It, they were able to get a little bit of blue light out of a high pressure sodium, but not much at all. So LEDs were a huge advancement in that and they keep getting better. But one of the trends we're definitely seeing, we've what has set Black Dog apart since 2010 when we were first founded is we have always incorporated ultraviolet and infrared in our spectrum because there's plenty of scientific research out there showing that both are useful for plants. They do different things. The, the infrared light uh, triggers the Emerson effect and, and makes photosynthesis more efficient. And then the ultraviolet light can be used for photosynthesis, but what it really does is triggers the plants to uh, create natural compounds as sunscreens. And a lot of those natural compounds 
or even structures are things like trichomes. So you want more trichomes on your plants? Expose them to ultraviolet light, the plant will naturally grow more trichomes to act as a UV sunshade uh, to help protect itself from that UV. It also produces more terpenes and more antioxidants, more of the anthocyanins, the red or purple looking pigment. Um, that's a natural sunscreen compound as well as a lot of the cannabinoids are natural sunscreen compounds that are produced more by plants with exposure to ultraviolet light. And just in the past year, we've seen an explosion in terms of the number of LED grow light companies that are starting to incorporate or at least offer ultraviolet light. Um, so that's encouraging. People are finally recognizing and, and learning about that. Um, ultraviolet LEDs, unfortunately, are probably the least of all of the LEDs that we use in our grow light, they are the least commonly used in terms of other uh, applications in the market besides grow lighting. Now, actually COVID changed a lot of that because uh, people were looking for ultraviolet light to sterilize things and kill the COVID virus, but that's also a very different wavelength of UV than we use in the uh, grow lights because if we put in UVC light, which is what's used for sterilizing surfaces, we would sterilize your plant and, and that doesn't just include <laughs> killing the bacteria on it, we would kill your plant with UVC light. So um, there is more research being done on ultraviolet LEDs at this point. Uh, they're still lacking in terms of the efficiency compared to, for example, the 660 nanometer reds, which are very close to being as efficient as they possibly physically could be. It's staggering. They're up above 75% efficient at this point, which is truly shocking if you look at other ways of creating light. But ultraviolet LEDs are nowhere near that level of efficiency, but they're getting much better all the time. And so, Ivan, you, as somebody who, when I visited you in Missouri, we talked about the purple streaking he was talking about. So you've even seen some of this firsthand where you're like, hey, man, I'm growing with a regular basic white LED in this environment. I'm growing the exact same genetics with the same feed and the same crop steering you were doing. But the only difference was the light. And you're like, hey, I'm seeing all these purple streaks on the plant and seeing colors I haven't seen. And we had to, you know, talk through that and figure that out. And it is really, that's the side effect, one of the, we think, one of the benefits of growing with LED. You get the color pop. I mean, you were talking about some of the stuff you were growing had so much colors, it was bleeding through the rolling papers when you'd roll with it. That's, that's what we like to hear and what we like to smoke, too. So, um, And that's I would, not just... LEDs in general, no, specifically no, ultra No, no, it's, yeah. our, it's our UVs. And again, because he saw, he was growing under a basic white bar light, you know, like most of the people out there, but he also had our lights and he could see a side-by-side -side difference because, you know, he had his controls in place. So it was, it was really interesting to see. So you, you've seen that firsthand and experienced it. I've seen that firsthand. I'm a firm believer that BlackBook is the best light for me and my method of growing. Of course, there's many different methods of growing. So Maybe it's not the best suited for you, but for me it is. And uh, I, will, I will always stand behind Black Dog. You know, you guys are amazing. You guys have an amazing company. I love you guys. Thank you for your time, first of all. I know you guys are always busy. Um, I'd like to thank you, Ivan, for coming and participating. 
We hope to do more Grower and the Geek in the future with you. Looking forward to it. And anyone that's listening and our, our people listening in on this, really appreciate you joining today for not only a Cultivation Cast, but our first Grower and the Geek episode. The other thing is, as you've seen, Ivan's here. If you're in Oklahoma, you just got a great grower in your backyard and you're in for a nice little ride trying some of the flower out there. So hopefully, Ivan will get some of his new product to market soon and you guys can sample some of Ivan's handiwork. Again, firsthand, I can speak for it. It is really nice flower. So look forward to you guys out there in Oklahoma trying it when you get a chance when he comes to market and we will keep you posted where, where you can find Ivan's flower. So thanks again, Ivan, for joining us. Thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, we'll see you soon. Take Thank care. You. Thank you guys. See you soon.